Welcome to Plant Stories. The modern, the old, and the crazy in between. Here's a little fun fact. The word for opening a champagne bottle with a back of a sword is sabrage, which was popularized by Napoleon after winning battles to celebrate. That brings us into today's episode. Champagne. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Happy New Year's, everyone. Happy New Year. We need it. We are ready. I was clinking some glasses. (laughs) I I know. (laughs) So traditionally speaking, uh, champagne is really just a type of sparkling wine. And it comes from the province of Champagne in France. So technically, in most places, it is illegal to call a sparkling wine champagne unless it is specifically you know grown and harvested and made in champagne Mm -hmm. everything else is just sparkling wine so like there are other places that do kind of similar uh you know sparkling wines but this one it's the og and you can only call it champagne if it comes from champagne and what makes champagne its own thing is the bubbles. I mean, we think of champagne as the bubbly, <laughs> you know what I mean? But these bubbles actually come from the wine continuing to ferment inside the bottle. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that process in just a few minutes. But just know that that was what was different about this being made that's what made this kind of like something that existed it happened by accident it was the wine continued to ferment inside the bottle the three main grapes that are used for champagne and i am also going to say that when it comes to wine grapes the variety of grape is the same name as the wine This confused me a lot when I was trying to do this research, but it's true that essentially the variety of the grape is the name of the wine. So the main grapes that are used for champagne are Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier, Meunier, I think is how you say it? Meunier. Okay. And Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier is, uh, they're the only two red grapes that are allowed to be grown in the region. So Chardonnay is a white grape. And then there's another set, like kind of subset of grapes that are allowed to be grown in that area. But these are also the only ones that are allowed to be grown on this land. So Less than 0.3% of plantings are made up of Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, Petit, Meslier, and Arbane grapes. I'm sure I Americanized and just like (laughs) brutally murdered the crap out of all those names. But all of those grapes are also white grapes. And 
I think a lot of people might actually think of Chardonnay in relation to Champagne, but Chardonnay is actually the least planted of the three main grape types. And so part of the reason for its popularity is that it has a very mild flavor profile. And so its taste can be really easily kind of like changed or affected without necessarily having, you know, any negative effects. And just over 25,000 acres of this land is planted with Chardonnay grapes. And then and that's you have the least. Yes, that's the least. Uh, Pinot Noir is the most widely cultivated at around 32,000 acres. And it's often described as a delicate flavor that brings body to the wine, which seems like a contradiction to me. <laughs> like, I don't think of delicate and body in the same sentence, but. Seems to be true enough. Mm-hmm. And then about 26,000 acres of the Pinot Minway are planted in the region and supposedly brings uh, some nice berry flavor to the table. Sparkling, yeah, like, so like I said, these sparkling wines, these are the champagne ones, and you cannot claim the name in pretty much any country. Unless it comes from Champagne. And Champagne, France is located in the northeast of the country. Where it's traditionally cooler weather. Ended up making a better product for these wine growers. And specifically for Champagne. Alright. So the word Champagne is believed to possibly be derived from the Latin... Campania. Which means land of the plains. Or possibly... The Celtic Canpan, meaning the white country. In the 12th and 13th centuries, Champagne actually became the site of these six great commercial fairs. Where like there was festivals? Like, yeah, where there was like lots of selling of goods and like you know, people came from all over the place and it was this big thing. These fairs lasted 49 days each, which I was like, how does that even work? That's amazing. Well, you think of like travel was harder than if you're going to come and you're going to bring all this stuff. Like, how does that? Right. But like, how does that (laughs) math work? Like, aren't there? There's only what? 356 days in a year. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) 365. (laughs) Divided by... Uh, yeah 49 days each so there was like not a lot of time where they were not having a fair (laughs) like they had a lot of fairs and it's actually interestingly enough uh where kind of credit was born so like a lot of people would go and you know get something and then promise to bring something back at the next fair And then, you know, if you didn't bring it back, they would come after you, you know, credit. And um, (laughs) it also, but it also caused, you know, giving credit also caused a lot of, you know, banking kind of growth to happen, just a lot of economic growth in general. And, you know, this was, so this became like a hub for a while. And 
you know, it was like a relatively kind of central area. So um, eventually, though, the growth of new trade routes and the Hundred Years' War ended the fairs in the 14th century. And that was primarily because there was kind of fighting in that area. And, you know, so it wasn't so safe to be over there. Yeah. And the region kind of continued to be tumultuous for a while because it was a common place to get attacked when attackers were coming in from the east and so there was definitely some devastation there uh, that continued too during later wars even like world war one world war two there was kind of fighting in some of those areas but even through all of that, wine was still something that was commonly grown. You know, they would just kind of start from the ground up and keep going. And so what makes champagne different from, you know, other wines is this fermentation process. And so initially the discovery of fermenting wine was pretty unfortunate like that was not something you wanted to discover it was a no-no you know people believe that that wine could not be sold because it was not quality and oftentimes wine that continued to ferment in the bottle would lead to unexpected explosions i was wondering that (laughs) yeah and so you know it became this very volatile thing and so this fermenting was an unintentional byproduct of the cold weather so in the northeast of france it was colder than a lot of the other regions it was you know a little higher above sea level and it would interrupt the fermentation process in such a way that the wine would still be fermenting after it was bottled And they were competing, you know, with other nearby vineyards, other places in France, other places in other countries. And so there was one man who is sometimes incorrectly credited with actually inventing champagne, uh, whose name was Dom Perignon. And he actually tried for years to figure out how to stop this process. Because you have to remember, even though we know now, that it has to do with fermenting. They really didn't know what the process of fermenting was and like what went into that. And so he spent a lot of his time trying to kind of figure out how they could hopefully make it stop. He was a Benedictine monk who worked as a cellar master in the area during the 17th and 18th centuries. So in the end, even though he didn't necessarily figure out exactly how to stop it, he did help to standardize production methods to avoid some of the really nasty explosions. And he added two other important safety features. So thicker glass bottles and a rope snare that kept the corks in place. Before this, it was really known as the devil's wine. Because of its explosive properties. You know, you might, like, take it somewhere and it would just, you know, explode. 
Um, but even though it was kind of considered an undesirable trait in the 1600s, somebody actually brought wine, this fermented wine from France to England and some of the other European colonies and people were actually for countries and people really liked it. Uh, and to the point where some of them were trying to figure out how to replicate it, which honestly they couldn't even really say how because they didn't quite it took them a little while to quite understand what was happening that was producing this and so even now there is a traditional method that these grapes have to go you know have to go through to become this very like specific type of wine and champagne is considered one of the most labor-intensive wines to make. So the method is that grapes are picked and fermented into still wine, and then yeast and sugars are added to start the second fermentation as it's bottled. Over time, the trap CO2 gas carbonates the liquid to form the trademark bubbles, and the yeast cells that are in it actually start to die. So then you kind of have this, like, chunk of dead yeast in it lovely what everybody wants mm -hmm. in wine uh the wine in the bottle is then aged for at least 15 months on the lees which just means with the dead yeast cells which is supposedly to add you know a more flavorful profile better texture and complexity and then during this time, a clarification process occurs known as riddling, which basically rotates the bottle slowly to capture the dead yeast cells at the neck before the yeast is removed through disgorgement, topped off with sugar. And then depending on how much sugar it's given a name for the dosage and then sealed. And this process is strictly controlled by a group called the Appellation d'Origine Controle. I said that terribly, but it's also known as the AOC, which <laughs> governs exactly how these grapes can be grown to be considered champagne. And this discovery of the importance of the second fermentation in wine has led to this method. It's also only given like a certain amount of yield so they can only make so much wine based off of like how much land they have in order to maintain quality and the other kind of factor that makes champagne different from other wines is that it's the grapes are grown in this very chalky mineral rich soil and it definitely sets those grapes apart from some other wines. The soil itself was once the base of a prehistoric sea. And so those minerals and things are just, you know, perfect for growing wine. Grapes. Growing wine grapes. I mean, we're not growing wine on <laughs> Omri, but you know. We're kind of growing wine. Yeah. And you feed it and stuff. Yeah, you know, like yeast cells and whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And so just for like a few general wine facts, I know, like I said, we're going to do a whole episode on wine and wine definitely has a story to tell. But wine is typically made from varieties of the European wine grape, also known as Vitis vinifera. And uh, yeah, and there are other types of grapes. Uh, you know, you think of like table grapes. So like the grapes that you get at the grocery store are not the same or not exactly the same as wine grapes, although they're part of the same family. There are at least 5,000 varieties of the European wine grape, which is a lot. Uh, some more obscure, some more popular. Obviously, we've talked about like, you know, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and all of these grapes vary in size, shape of berry, color, juice composition, ripening time, and disease resistance. So, you know, there's just this huge kind of scale of what these grapes can be, the kind of flavor profiles they can have, and it depends on so much, you know, like, Champagne is obviously famous for where it's grown because where it's grown, the soil that it's grown in, the environment that it's grown in can make a really big difference in the taste of your wine. And I say that, but I know some people who are not big fans of wine who are just like, well, wine tastes the same, blah, blah, blah. No, you're a loser. (laughs) It's all different. (laughs) Don't try to tell me that because you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, after table grapes mm-hmm. the most grown grape in the world is the Cabernet Sauvignon grape hmm. I would not have guessed it yeah so I mean wine and grapes are just pretty great I mean I like grapes except for artificial grape flavored things like medicine Blech. but real grapes yeah. are great excellent 10 out of 10. over 5,000 choices, so that's not- 5,000 cho- Like, you're telling me out of 5,000 choices, you can't find one wine that you like? You're just a loser. You don't want to try it. I- Honestly, I have the same attitude about tea, and you know it, Krista. You know I do. Well, we've already done our special episode on tea. Everyone knows. Uh, yeah, you know. There's something out there for you if you're over there like, I can't drink tea, or like, Wine is gross. There's something out there for you, and you should try harder, okay? Mm-hmm. All those sommeliers know something, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but now, uh, let's go ahead and uh, go over to the bar. All right, I got a couple of helpful tips for drinking champagne on your own. So, probably one of the more helpful things is that in between your pours, you're going to want to put a stopper on it because, like we said, the best part about champagne is all the bubbles. So, you know, really be on top of it. If you're not pouring it, there's a stopper on it. And that's only going to last about, like, a day. I know that sometimes you'll drink, like, a red wine and you can have that over, like, you know, maybe a week or something. But with champagne, it's really kind of a, a day thing. Um, and you're also only going to want to fill your glass about a third of the way. Third of the way. Uh, over pour, it's going to warm up too quickly, and that's, you know, it's not going to make the taste any better. <laughs> no. 
yeah. And then something also really helpful is, as we mentioned, there's the sugar added and then it's labeled to tell you what kind of flavor profile you're gonna get. So just like the three base ones, there's dew, which is like the dessert version. It's like super sweet. There's a lot of sugar. Then there's demi-sec, which is like semi-sweet. And then there's brut, uh, which is dry to very dry. And there's like extra adjectives thrown on there, but those three are gonna help you be able to navigate. Because if we are talking about people who don't like wine, sometimes it really helps to be able just to tell those three things apart. Um, some people like their stuff really dry, which means that it's going to be kind of bitter. Other people like their stuff sweet, but some people will be really sensitive to sugar in their alcohol, so maybe don't want that. Um, and if you're feeling bold and you're comfortable with the sword, you should give it a go like Napoleon. <laughs> Watch a YouTube You can Google video. it. Yeah, you can Google <laughs> it, man. It's a real thing. And if you have a sword, I just can't see a good reason why you would say no. So. Honestly, I have a sword. I might do this. <laughs> <laughs> I've never attempted. <laughs> Krista, how do you prefer your champagne? Ooh, I personally am in the demi-sec range. I like a little sweetness. I don't like too dry of wine. It just feels like the only thing I'm drinking is bubbles. <laughs> yeah, I don't enjoy dry wine most of the time. Sometimes paired with food, it can be good. But yeah, no, for my champagne, by the time I get to champagne on New Year's... <laughs> <laughs> I am not eating. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, champagne can be something that you can eat the whole, you know, the time you get to the bar, you can drink it while you're eating and after eating. You know, you've got a whole bottle to go through. It only lasts a day, so you might as well drink it the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Gotta get it done. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the bubbles. Well, here's to a... Hopefully better 2021, everyone. Mm -hmm. We made it, guys. We, we made, made it through it. a whole year. We made it. We've <laughs> done it. Congratulations. Cheers. Cheers. You know, we <laughs> are still here. So, Do we, we know what we're going to do in our next episode? Uh, I think our first episode of the year is uh, going to be on beer. Mm, haps. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna talk about beer and where it comes from and some of its history and some of the add-ons. I mean we're 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 gonna get into it. Well, happy twenty twenty one, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>